Have you heard of King Solomon? Uh, what do you know about him? That he was a great king of Israel? That he built Israel's first temple? Perhaps that he was King David's son? Or that he was wise and wealthy? Or that the Queen of Sheba, or the Queen of the South, came to see his glory? King Solomon was a great king of Israel. And the question I want you to ask yourself now is, what more should I know? Now, of course, it's no surprise to ask these questions as we begin our new series today on the first of the two books of Kings, uh, a book of the Old Testament, which begins with the reign of Solomon. In fact, 11 of its 22 chapters are about Solomon, which means it spends more time on his reign than the many other kings that fill its pages. Now, I should, by the way, say at this point that 1 and 2 Kings were originally one book, like 1 and 2 Samuel, but divided into two by translators, uh, I suspect to make the manuscripts of each more manageable. But we're here in 1 Kings, here in 1 Kings, because the kingdom of God and the king of God's kingdom is a theme not limited to the books with kings in the name alone, but is very much the major theme of the whole Bible. What 1 Kings shows us so clearly is the nature of God's kingdom and the shape of God's king. So a careful reading of this book will more than repay your effort. Uh, it is the very word of God to us. Where, as we read and reflect on it, we'll know ourselves better, our world better, but above all, know the one, the Lord who gives us blessing and hope in the King we need, the Lord Jesus. Now, as we're going to spend the next eight weeks in 1 Kings, let's remind ourselves of where Solomon and the kings that follow fit in the great plans of God. Uh, one plan that spans from creation to the new creation yet to come. A plan to reverse the evil and wickedness of our human sin. A plan to establish his kingdom for all time. We've used this uh, picture a few times. It's also in your growth group booklets. If you wanted to summarize the whole story of God's salvation history, you could do it in this way and speak of it in terms of the kingdom of God. I think it was Vaughan Roberts came up with uh, these divisions based on Graham Goldsworthy and Mark Barry put it together into this great picture. Now we are here living in the second to last chapter of God's plans with all that is left to happen is Jesus' return. King David and then King Solomon, they occur here, 1,000 years before Jesus, in what is the high point of Israel's experience, where the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings describe what it's like to be at the mountaintop, when the people experienced peace in the land that the Lord had promised when God's king had a discerning heart and was wise and wealthy beyond compare. And when the house of God, the temple, was completed and the Lord dwelt among his people. Him knowing them and them knowing him. And yet, to describe this as their mountaintop experience is also to expect that what they ascended to enjoy, they will sadly descend from all too quickly. But more of that later. Now we're looking at chapters 1 and 2, particularly today, where they not only set up the reign of Solomon, they also set up the whole book. And that's where we're beginning. 
Uh, I should say, to get the most out of this series, please do be reading 1 Kings yourself during the week. Uh, Like in today's readings, we won't be able to read every part of our passage every week, just as we won't be able to get to everything that's in there or every question we might have. But nonetheless, we do expect to get to the heart of 1 Kings together. So chapters 1 and 2 unfold in three parts, which will be our outline today. Leave the kingdom, uh, where in everything that goes on, it's not someone's kingdom to take, it's the Lord's to give. Adonijah, uh, he's out to take hold of it himself, whether by persuasion or force. Now, I couldn't believe the excellent timing of the beginning of this series, given that I expect all of you will be watching the coronation of King Charles III on TV next Saturday night. Uh, Barely a murmur. Uh, For those of you playing at home, it's at 5pm on ABC. Uh, It's a public event. It's in the centre of London. Uh, uh, It's going to be beamed to the world uh, to confirm his legitimacy. Here in 1 Kings, Adonijah and his crew hold their own coronation, complete with a commanding officer for his military, and they've got that support, the head priest of God showing he's got that support, all to confirm Adonijah's legitimacy. At least, that's their hope. But did you notice they do it outside of Jerusalem? Uh, And perhaps uh, before it became popular to cancel people, uh, noticeably missing from the guest list, the prophet of God, Nathan, the prophet who gave David the promise, and one particular brother, and only one, Solomon. This would-be king grasps for power in the kingdom of God, but his brother Solomon... Well, did you see the difference? Solomon doesn't say, I will be king. Uh, It is Bathsheba, his mother, and Nathan, the prophet of the Lord, who trust in the promise made by David, Solomon shall be the son of promise. And yes, there are politics involved. Wisdom is needed. People in God's plan still have responsibilities, but their motivation is faithfulness to the promise of God's king, David, indeed to the God who installed King David. Well, uh, as it uh, unfolds, it comes to a head. David confirms the promise in chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, and when it's announced and Adonijah's uh, allies hear of it, can you envisage rats deserting a sinking ship? The would-be king grasped for power in the kingdom of God, but Solomon receives it according to the promise of God. And that is very much the difference between our human approach to power, myself included, and so to you, where I can't help but think of the God who himself would be descended from both David and Solomon, the Lord Jesus, in the way we are told he did not grasp for power, but used what was promised to him to serve. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped for, for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Solomon is the king of promise, and yet he points to a greater king. Now come back with me to 1 Kings chapter 2. David is now on his deathbed. And he instructs Solomon on the king he should be. Uh, This is what God's king looks like. He is the king we need. Reading from verse 3. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. What stands out about God's king is he himself is not above authority. He himself is under authority and to walk in obedience to the Lord to keep his word. Extraordinarily, in God's kingdom, he doesn't have different expectations for his king from those the king leads, and he has the same expectations of him as those he leads. And did you notice the phrase, uh, this phrase on David's lips? Uh, I've highlighted it here. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. It's very easy in these chapters to think of Solomon as holding the lead role and later on the other kings who come after him. But if you're going to think, you know, well, who are the podium characters uh, in one kings, always remember to put the Lord God first. Uh, And what David's saying here isn't, okay, Solomon, do this and you'll earn your prosperity. He's saying, if you walk in obedience to the word of God, because God has already promised it, you will prosper. Because that's the fruit obedience to his word produces in us. There's another aspect of the king we need uh, that's clearly present uh, in the first 12 verses here, both instructed by David uh, and carried out by Solomon in the verses that follow. It's the dispensing of justice. The Lord's king, he is responsible to hold injustice to account and affirm what is right, we're told. So of the first, uh, you hear it in verses 5 to 6 with Joab, uh, who was a main character in uh, uh, the, uh, 2 Samuel, Uh, And then you hear it in verses 8 and 9 with Shimei, uh, likewise in 2 Samuel, each guilty of grave acts, uh, at the time allowed to live, uh, but the sentence on both reads the same. Verse 6, 
Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to the grave in peace. Uh, that's holding injustice to account of the second, affirming what is right. In verse 7, you, you would have seen there, as we heard it read, Barzillai elevated for uh, the sons of Barzillai, elevated for their faithfulness to the Lord's king. Now, this is what God's uh, good government looks like. This is the governance uh, that not just Israel, not just we, but all people need. Delivered by a king who himself is obedient to the living word of God. Ruled by a king who dispenses justice in line and light of that same word from God. The final element of Solomon's reign set in place that we'll see today and the pattern of the kingdom of God is summed up in verse 12. So Solomon, uh, this is after David's death. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. Now what does that look like? What does it mean for Solomon's rule to be established? Well, if you haven't had a chance already to read uh, chapter 2 verse 13 onwards, let me encourage you to do that uh, later today because the answer is there, I'm happy to tell it to you now, it is the defeat of the opponents of his rule. It's overcoming rivals, uh, rivals to himself, to the kingdom, to the Lord above so that the kingdom may experience peace. And this word, uh, this specific word established, it's here repeatedly in chapter 2. It's in verse 12, it's again in verse 24 when uh, Solomon is sentencing Adonijah and finally at the very end of the chapter. But do you remember hearing it before? It was actually there uh, three times in the passage we read out from 2 Samuel 7 and a fourth time immediately after it. Uh, we'll put it back up on the screen. I've highlighted here, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Further on, I, the Lord, will establish his kingdom. Uh, and at the third one, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The king who rules according to God's promise, the king we need is the king whom by God's own hand, by his majestic and powerful and merciful hand, he will establish. He delivers uh, his enemies into the hands of his king. He gives his king victory over them so that the kingdom may experience peace. According to God's promise, King Solomon brought peace for his kingdom. And as we read on in coming weeks, we'll see much more as well. But... As I said, it was under Solomon that Israel's experience of God's blessing ascended to the mountaintop. So too under Solomon, despite what David his father said to him, so too under Solomon would it begin its descent. And not 
by the way, through any fault of the Lord. But because Solomon was a sinner like us, as was the nation, together they were wholly, not wholly obedient to the Lord, nor did they always walk in his ways. As great as he was, he was only a shadow of a greater king to come, like a movie trailer that gives you an idea of what to expect, but you still await the main feature to come. Well, as we sit here today, we no longer have to wait. The reality has already arrived in the Lord Jesus, David's greater son. He is the king of promise. He is the final fulfilment of 2 Samuel 7. He reigns on the throne of God the Father, which he has prepared for him, which he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. Uh, to make his own. Jesus is the king you and I need, faithful in every way to God the Father, and he is the king whom God himself has established. Speaking in this way and of having his kingdom established uh, uh, took me to Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, in his words in Colossians, where he describes... God delivering Jesus' enemies and our enemies into his hands and giving Jesus the victory over them so that we, so that we may experience peace. Let me read from Colossians 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. This is the great victory of God overcoming sin and death and judgment itself once and for all never again to be challenged and you and I know this king and perhaps you're listening on today and you think to yourself well for what you've been describing and what I've heard I'm not sure I do know this king or at least not in the way uh, that we've heard today, let me invite you. Let me invite you to listen to him, to come and live under his loving rule, to humble yourself and depend with us on him. You can do that even today. Now, I said earlier on, we live in the second to last chapter of God's great kingdom plans. Uh, these are the days in which we are called on to respond to the king. Jesus has come. He rules even now from heaven, but we don't see it fully and finally yet, though we do see it in part as lives are being transformed through Jesus. But as we look forward to the time when these last days are wrapped up, because he is our king. His kingship 
and kingdom established by God, we who trust him, we have hope and confidence now for the life to come. Peace with God. The forgiveness of our shame and sin before God. Victory over death. Because we wonderfully know the king we need, the king of God's kingdom. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your gracious and extraordinary plans that reflect your majesty and your mercy. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we have heard your word today, the word of Jesus about Jesus our King, that you might enable us by your spirit to continue in following him. Write your word on our hearts. Give us the obedience that comes through faith and bring all of us, we pray, to the last day when we will see him face to face and live forever, seeing his glory. Amen. Uh, To make his own. Jesus is the king you and I need, faithful in every way to God the Father, and he is the king whom God himself has established. Speaking in this way and of having his kingdom established uh, uh, took me to Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, in his words in Colossians, where he describes God delivering Jesus' enemies and our enemies into his hands and giving Jesus the victory over them so that we, so that we may experience peace. Let me read from Colossians 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the great victory of God overcoming sin and death and judgment itself once and for all never again to be challenged and you and I know this king and perhaps you're listening on today and you think to yourself well for what you've been describing and what I've heard I'm not sure I do know this king or at least not in the way uh, that we've heard today, let me invite you. Let me invite you to listen to him, to come and live under his loving rule, to humble yourself and depend with us on him. You can do that even today. 
Now, I said earlier on, we live in the second to last chapter of God's great kingdom plans. Uh, These are the days in which we are called on to respond to the king. Jesus has come. He rules even now from heaven, but we don't see it fully and finally yet, though we do see it in part as lives are being transformed through Jesus. But as we look forward to the time when these last days are wrapped up, Because he is our king, his kingship and kingdom established by God, we who trust him, we have hope and confidence now for the life to come. Peace with God, the forgiveness of our shame and sin before God, victory over death. Because we wonderfully know the king we need, the king of God's kingdom. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your gracious and extraordinary plans that reflect your majesty and your mercy. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we have heard your word today, the word of Jesus, about Jesus our King, that you might enable us by your Spirit to continue in following him. Write your word on our hearts. Give us the obedience that comes through faith and bring all of us, we pray, to the last day when we will see him face to face and live forever, seeing his glory.